Hey, Storm Freaks, it's Phil. Welcome to the most entertaining weather podcast. This is the award-winning Stormfront Freaks podcast, and tonight's bonus episode is brought to you by Windstorm Products. Got to check out their selection, their quantities, their pricing. It's not going to be found anywhere else. Combined with their $5 flat rate shipping makes them the best choice for helping to protect and improve your home or your business. Um, special shout out tonight to uh, all of us uh, that happen to be joining live and checking us out uh, on YouTube. Also want to say thank you to our Patreon members that we have got scrolling on the bottom of the screen. Uh, while we're going through our interview tonight, uh, feel free to, to comment in the chat section. Give us your thoughts on the show and, and uh, your feedback. Tonight, we're going to be live with Hurricane Chaser Josh Morgerman. He's also the star of the new series premiering Sunday. It's titled Mission Hurricane. So Josh has been chasing now for over 30 years. Uh, welcome back to the show, Josh. How you doing? Good, good. Real awesome to be back. This is, uh, this is one of my favorite places to appear because I could be the total weirdo that I am. I don't have to <laughs> control myself. <laughs> That's true. You're, you're always in good company. Uh, you're always in good company with us. So, hey, one thing I want to do, Josh, before we get started, share and play the uh, trailer for your show. Ace Hurricanes. And in my new series, Mission Hurricane, I'll share my personal experiences from the eye of the storm. I'm on the beach front of Mazunte. The water's really coming up now. Hurricane Agnes is looping in. It's ripping hard now. I've been stranded, roughed up, and presumed dead. Follow me as I take you into the world's mightiest hurricanes. Much stronger hurricane than I was expecting. Prepare to get blown away. Mission Hurricane, Sunday starting April 9th on Weather Spy. So that, uh, that sir, is pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, very yeah. intense. Yeah, they wanted that kind of style. You know, they, they wanted it kind of like action movie and stuff. And uh, yeah, you know, I just do as I'm told. The director said, you know, <laughs> give like an intense delivery of these lines. And, you know, let's make it like a really you know, in your face kind of promo. So that's what they came up with. I'm happy with it. I think it conveys like sort of the, the vibe and the mood of the show. Yeah, no, it's, it's real cool. I love it. So uh, tell us a little bit here about what the, what the show's all about and uh, what we can expect. Yeah. So, you know, I've been chasing all these years and I've just had all of these unbelievable, like just cataclysmic adventures around the world, you know, super typhoon Haiyan in the Philippines, Hurricane Dorian in the Bahamas, Hurricane Patricia in Mexico, all these just nut, like these, these crazy experiences. You know, um, I've had a bunch of near death close calls. You know, I've rescued people. There's all these just crazy adventures I've had. And also, I also have traveled all over the world. So Juke and Media was like, you know, we should make this. We should take all of your sort of your, 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 your vast, all these experiences. And we should make this into TV. So basically, it's almost like a retrospective of my work, which is really cool. So each episode, there's 12 uh, uh, half hour episodes and each episode focuses on, most of them focus on a single hurricane, a single expedition. And it goes deeper than a lot of other shows because it's not just about the impact, but also the whole experience of getting there, you know, my motivations, what are the obstacles along the way? And then of course it builds to the climax of the, uh, of the actual impact and then sort of the, you know, the kind of experience afterward to come down from that. So it gets pretty in-depth. It's pretty cool. It makes each expedition into its own sort of, uh, you know, like a, like a story and an experience. What, what years is this covering in your Chase career? You know, went as far back as we could with, with the available footage. So 
my style of shooting over the years has changed. So when I first started chasing hurricanes, well, this is going to sound totally bananas to everyone listening because I know a lot of storm chasers watch this show. But when I first started storm chasing, again, like I hope you're sitting, I did not bring a camera. It it wasn't important to me to document it or to take pictures. There was no such thing as social media. This was a while ago. And uh, I just wanted to experience it, be in the moment, feel it. And I only started shooting in 2005. Um, and then when I started shooting, I was only, I was such a hurricane nerd that I didn't think to tell a story or do, or do pieces to camera or anything like that. I just, all I cared about was the hurricane. So the early, my early chases, there was no footage of me, no footage of getting there, no narration really. It was just shooting the hurricane and that's it. Now for me, as a total hurricane nerd, I'm like, oh, that's good. I could just watch that kind of footage for two hours. For normal TV viewers, they need something more. They need like a story. They need to know your feelings, what you're going through, what you're thinking. So with my early chases, um, you know, in the early 2000s, they, th those were harder to make TV out of. So to answer your question, to finally get to it, the, the series focuses more on my work from the last decade when I started doing a little more sort of, you know, just, just pieces to camera and kind of creating the assets that are needed to, to make a full TV show. So I, I, I was going to ask this question later in the show, but you, you've already brought it up because I'm, I'm curious and I, I, I sort of know the answer because we've spoken before, but so you, here's a series you're doing that's covering the last decade of your chases and it's a television video series. What, what do you take with you to film all this stuff? What, what's in your bag uh, of equipment that you're bringing with you uh, to get this footage? So I have to state that the number one thing for me is portability. That is everything because, you know, I'm, most of my chasing, I do it with a passport, meaning there's only about a third of my chasing is inside the United States. I mean, of course, the pandemic changed things a little bit, but now we're back to normal. So basically two thirds of my time is spent, you know, flying around, connecting flights to random islands and random places. So portability is everything. Um, and also durability is another thing, you know, making sure I've got equipment that's not going to die. So in terms of like camera equipment, and again, I hope you're sitting, I do most of my shooting now on smartphones. Um, I, I always have like a, a couple on hand. I have a high end, like the latest Samsung Galaxy and the very latest iPhone. And I bring those and that's where I do most of my shooting because the items are small, portable, they do high quality footage and they're incredibly resistant, you know, when I'm like to just terrible conditions, you know, you're just out in the rain and the wind and those things just stay up every time over the years, no matter what camcorder I've used, I've had issues. They died, they fogged up. All these things happen. It's very hard to shoot in a hurricane. I get the best results with smartphones. And in fact, when I, when I, when I started doing that, it was in 2017, I was ch chasing hurricane Harvey. I shot half on a, on a really good camcorder and half on a, on my high end smartphone. And then when I was in the editing room, I actually kept picking the smartphone shots. They just looked a little more sort of color saturated and everything. And I liked the way they looked. And I was just was like, you know what? And they're even more portable. So most of my shooting is actually done on these devices. Shocking as it might seem. Have you thought about ch like changing that or adding to that just because now that you know you're doing some of these TV series, and I know you've done previous ones as well, but have you thought about changing that, adding something else that might still be portable, whether it's a GoPro camera or something similar? Yeah, actually, glad you asked. I, I, I shouldn't 
misrepresented. I do take a couple of GoPros with me and I try, you know, and I, I will often, some of, some of my videos, I use a lot of GoPros, especially if I'm just getting really like, you know, if I'm like right on the sort of waterfront getting hit by waves and stuff, then I'll use a GoPro. Um, some of my footage, like my uh, Typhoon Kamori video, which um, I shot in the Philippines, that was a nighttime category four. Most of that was actually shot on a GoPro. So I actually, I do mix it up a little more than I'm letting on. I would say the biggest change to how I'm shooting is that the producers of, of Mission Hurricane are, you know, because I'm creating more content for hopefully season two episodes. And the thing they tell me is they just, they're like, shoot everything. Even if you think it's boring, shoot, you know, your experience going through the airport, you know, do pieces to camera when you're in a really bad mood and you don't want to do pieces to camera because the chase isn't going well. They just, they want like, they want every moment of it to be documented. They want a lot of B-roll of the locations. So what it means is from each chase, I come back with a lot more footage than I used to when I was just shooting the hurricane alone. So I'm shooting in a very different way now. I'm shooting, you know, with a mind toward trying to create TV shows, not just YouTube videos for other weather nerds. Yeah, and I, I would imagine chasing hurricanes, ch chasing typhoons. Is a drone ever a possibility for you or have you thought about that? It's a great question. So I, like many people, I've just been blown away, no pun intended, by some of the drone footage that some of the some of the uh, folks out in the field have been getting recently. I mean, just, you know, I mean, that stuff Reed got, uh, you know, within the last year of that tornado going through that. I mean, it just, you know, it's unbelievable to see it. And, uh, and of course, it's great for surveying damage afterward. So one thing that's been happening to me, the way my chasing has evolved, it's gotten more and more complex. So I mentioned when I was first chasing in the 90s, when I was just like basically a kid and I didn't even have a camera, it was so simple. You know, I remember the first chase I went on, I had a little duffel bag. It had a paper map and a pencil and some clothes and some cash. This was before mobile phones even. And uh, yeah, that was it. There was no camera, no nothing. And it was just about being in the hurricane in the moment, not even recording it. Cut to 30 years later, you know, I've got all these devices and I'm trying to collect really good meteorological data and I'm trying to deploy those instruments in multiple places so I can get a full pressure profile of the hurricane. And I'm usually covering the hurricane for like, you know, some TV network. So I'm doing live hits, you know, and I'm trying to film the hurricane and I'm trying to navigate. It's all getting very complicated. And sometimes I just start to feel like, oh my God, this is too much. The experience is losing the magic. So getting to your question about drones, I've thought about it, but then I'm like, okay, this is another thing to operate, another piece of equipment. And so in, in sort of my desire to not just overload myself and just start to hate the experience because I'm just working nonstop during the storm and I have no moment to just sit back and just take it in. At this point, I'm not planning on adding another piece of gadgetry, although I should consider it because, man, the drone stuff I've seen is incredible. It's good. I just truthfully, I don't know how well that can be sustained in a tropical storm kind of setting. Um, well, like, there's that too. Like, I think that, I think that actually in, when you're in this, the, the sexy part of the hurricane, when you're in the eye wall, you can't fly a drone in that. So, so that, so you can't do that. I think where a drone can be really magical in a hurricane is in the eye. Like, let's say you're in a really hot stadium eye and to go up up, you know, uh, into the, like up sure. into the yep. upper reaches of a stadium eye, I think would be spectacular. And someone's going to do that at some point and it's going to look very cool. Yeah. 
Yep. So, hey, uh, Deborah, who's listening and watching, says uh, sometimes you're stranded for days on a location. How do you keep all that stuff charged? Uh, and even when you're out of the States. Yeah, that's a great question. So the way to keep all that stuff charged is having a car. So your car becomes your number one source of power on a chase, especially when you're, let's say, outside the United States in a developing nation with, you know, maybe no infrastructure, your car is everything. And as long as you as long as the car is running, you can you can power everything up and keep it going. Now in Hurricane Dorian, I was really lucky because I was stuck there for days and I, I wrote out the hurricane in a little concrete like room. It was a classroom. It was like a little bunker. I wrote it out with 11 people, the walls rattling. I mean, that was some crazy ass wind. Afterward, when we went outside, all the cars were just thrown all over the parking lot. So the car that was parked next to mine had just blown away. I don't know where it went, but my car, (laughs) this little tiny car was still there without even a broken window. It was some weird stuff. So having that car really got me through all those days. I lived in that car and that car was my source of power. It was my that car was my source of mental stability. Did I want to jump back, Josh, a little bit to the series again, only because, as I mentioned earlier, obviously you, you've done a previous, at least one previous series I'm aware of, maybe more. But I'm curious to know what, what makes this one different uh, than any others or any of your other just YouTube video. I'm excited about Mission Hurricane because it gives me, it's going to be sort of the whole collection of all of of these just unbelievable chases and experiences that I've had. So when I made Hurricane Man back in 2018, and that's a really cool series, and I was very proud to make that, made that with uh, UK TV and the British Broadcasting Corporation. That was a British series with an American lead. Um, That show, what that did was that one covered one season in real time. It was the 2018 season. So I had a whole crew of British filmmakers basically following me all around the world, wherever I wanted to go. So, you know, Japan, Mexico, uh, you know, just the United States, Philippines, it was just all over the place. And they just followed me around as I hunted down cyclones for a season in real time. Mission Hurricane is a look back. You know, there, there's been time to kind of have processed these experiences and kind of, you know, sort of pulled the wisdom out of them and, and to look back and sort of tell the whole story and to sort of memorialize all of these unbelievable adventures and all these near-death experiences that I've had over the years. I'm very excited about it. I feel like, you know, when I'm when I'm no longer here, there will be Mission Hurricane, which will be like basically the, the, the full look back at like all the my career and all the experiences that I've had. So I'm always curious from a production standpoint, where does a series like this, I guess, where does it get its start? Where's the pebble that kind of gets this whole boulder going? Okay. So if you, if you want to be a TV star and and do TV, like, let me tell you, like rule number one is like, go into it with the patience of Job. Like, it is such a slow process to get a show off the ground. I mean, I've been through this a couple of times now from that initial discussion with the, with a producer who's thinking of making a show to actually shooting and then getting paid. I mean, we're talking a couple of years, a lot of the time it's, it's a very slow process. You know, usually it's an idea it's bandied around. You have a lot of meetings, you know, with the direct, the potential director and the casting director, then the idea starts to gel and then that, that company will probably make an internal sort of sizzle reel to show it to the higher up executives. And then the, those executives will then, de- based on that, decide whether they like it. And then with Mission Hurricane, they didn't want to go all in right away. At first uh, at Juke and Media, they were like, well, let's try it out. So they, they just, we shot a pilot episode 
and they um, we shot that last May, and then they uh, they broadcast that in August. It did very well. Then they approved the rest of the series, uh, you know, and then we shot the rest of the the other twelve episodes over the fall and winter. But it was a very slow process to come up with the show concept and shape it, get it approved, and then actually shoot it. And then I, one last thing I want to say is post production is a very big part of this. Once we shot it, you know, there, uh, there's a whole team. There's, there's a lead editor and like four people working under him and the director. And I have to go into the studio a lot. And we sit around and have these creative meetings. We watch cuts of, of each episode. And then we talk about how to make it better, how to shape it. And that's one thing I like about this show. I'm just the, I'm the talent. I'm like, I, I'm the, the, the sort of host of the show. And what I've learned over the years is like <laughs> The host of the show, the guy, the star of the show, the one you see on camera is like in terms of the power structure is like just above the person who cleans the offices. Like, you know, you don't have a lot of power, but but they actually have given me a lot of um, say and influence in this show. I'm able to, you know, give them creative inputs and they actually will implement a lot of my feedback, which is really nice because, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll be watching the episode and I'll be like, ah, that's kind of a lame shot. Let's you know, use this one. There's a little more energy in it and they'll they'll take my feedback. So that's really cool. That's pretty sweet. So, it, so you mentioned a little bit about shooting. So I'm curious what, what additional shooting is involved above and beyond the footage that you're providing? So the the mission hurricane it's a combination of the of the kind of like you know rough on the ground you know in the moment kinetic uh, footage and then studio footage. And in that one, we did it, you know, in a very, um, you know, there's like a, a, a sort of like a, a neutral kind of moody background. The lighting is really moody. You know, they picked out my wardrobe, like what they wanted me to wear. And they, you know, they kind of really got my look exactly like they wanted it and lit me exactly like they wanted it um, and to create kind of like an atmosphere. And that's where, from that point of view in the studio, and you can see those are the darker, moodier shots in the episode. That's from that environment, I'm telling the story. Um, and it has kind of a cinematic feel and that's interspaced with the on location stuff. And it kind of goes back and forth between the two. So we had a, we have another uh, viewer that had a question regarding Australia, but I'm, I'm curious, have, uh, have you chased anything down in Australia before? Absolutely. I started chasing in Australia right before the pandemic. Well, back in 2017, went down there for a cyclone, had a totally epic experience that unfortunately I did not capture on camera. Long story with that one. It would have made the best episode ever. Uh, but then um, then Australia had one or two slow seasons and then there was the pandemic. So now this is a very exciting year. I, I, it's like sort of a resurrection. I feel like I could really sort of prowl the globe again this year. It's the first time in years because it looks like we're finally on the other side of all of those COVID travel restrictions. So talking about the series, I'm, I'm always curious, is there, you know, because we mentioned, Josh, you've, you've got great stuff on YouTube. You've got a number of followers there. Um, is there going to be anything in this series that is going to surprise those followers or shock those followers, something maybe they haven't seen before? I think that it's going to give them a much deeper look at these chases and what what goes into them, the feelings behind them, all that other stuff. So I think that I think that in that sense, it's going to it's going to bring like entirely new layers, like a lot of it almost feels like behind the scenes footage. So I think that, you know, it's going to give sort of a deeper look at, you know, what it is to go to the other side of the earth to chase a life threatening cyclone following you on Twitter, I've seen you comment on this a few times in the chaser community, especially the, uh, what you call the little twisty things community. Um, 
there's obviously been some that you're aware of, and, and I shouldn't say obvious because there's a lot of people watching and listening and probably aren't aware that, that the, the chasing community has had some unfortunate near misses uh, with some of the tornadoes, and there's been a lot of discussion on that. Uh, but one of our viewers tonight, Paulo, was kind of asking if you've ever had to leave a situation because you felt that it was just too high risk. Yeah, actually, um, Hurricane Dorian was that. Um, I was initially going to ride it out on, in a little, like a, a two-story condo on a little sort of like a bayou uh, in a resort town a little north of Marsh Harbor, which is the main town on Abaco Island. And as the hurricane started to come in and it started to really get intense, it was before it was raining or anything, I got spooked and I just, I started to have like literal like death premonitions. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to die if I stay here. So I drove back into town. It was about 20 miles and I rode out the hurricane in Marsh Harbor. And by the way, I wasn't running from the hurricane because in that location, I went right, the location I picked, I went right through the stadium eye, which is what I wanted. But uh, it felt just a tiny bit safer because I rode it out in a concrete school and it was on a hill. And that just seemed like a little more like, here's the deal. I lead a daredevil life. You know, I'm a professional adventurer. I'm going all around the world to these crazy places to hunt down category fives in like developing nations and places you've never heard of. I also want to live. I want to, <laughs> I want to live to see another day and chase other hurricanes. So for me, it's a matter of, okay, always trying to find that, like, I guess where that line is, you know, walking along the edge of the cliff so that you're having and, and documenting an amazing adventure, but not, you know, ending up in a coffin. So you've seen there, there's been over the last, I would say certainly last couple of years or since COVID, I've seen a new influx of storm chasers into the community. I would imagine that's probably the case with hurricane chasing as well. Now, that's not something that I do currently, but I guess what have you seen in your hurricane chasing community over the last couple of years as far as things that you've seen that you like, things that you see maybe that you haven't liked? There's definitely been a change. And like you said, there's certainly been an influx of, of new hurricane chasers. And I think a lot of them are actually tornado chasers who are like, oh, I guess I'll try this out. And actually that makes perfect sense. And the reason that that's happening is because the USA is having what I'm calling a golden era of, of hurricane impacts. So when you look at US hurricane history, over the last 170 years when we have good data, there are decades where like, it's just nothing's happening. Like when I started tracking hurricanes when I was in grade school and just really interested in the topic, it was in the early eighties and there was nothing hitting the US. I mean, it was like, you'd go a couple of seasons without a landfalling hurricane. Other decades are really busy. The last six months, six years have just been nuts. I mean, we've been getting all these, not just all these landfalls, but intense landfalls, category fours and even a five. So, that's attracted, that's just made it basically these storms are just being handed to American chasers. They don't have to go abroad. They don't have to get on a plane. They don't have to have a passport. They don't even have to have money. They could just drive from their home wherever it is and go chase them. So that's why there's been this big influx, I think, because the goods are just right there. Now, whether this sustains once the U.S. goes into a slow phase again and you have to go to Mexico or Taiwan or the Philippines to hunt down big storms, whether this interest sustains and whether some of these chasers start to, you know, really chase abroad and, and do it like, you know, globally, that remains to be seen. Do you have any thoughts on this coming season yet uh, as far as 2023? My hunch is that 
you know, it looks like, you know, we're, we're now, we're coming out of a La Nina. We're now in a neutral phase and it looks like maybe a, an El Nino is going to be building by the summer or fall. So that suggests that it might slightly suppress activity in the Atlantic, which means that the U.S. could have a quieter season. But on the other hand, you know, when you look at the SST anomalies, the sea surface uh, temperatures around the Gulf and the Bahamas are much higher than normal. So, you know, that is a factor. So I think I'm getting mixed signals. Dr. Phil Klotzbeck of the Colorado State University, he's about to release his his much celebrated seasonal forecast. And I think we're all, it's going to come out in a couple of days. And I think we're all really curious about what's going to happen. But here's the deal. If there's an El Nino and that suppresses Atlantic activity, that's going to increase Pacific activity. So me, I'm always going to have the same number of chases a year. The variable is whether it's in the Atlantic, like let's say in the U.S. or you know places around here, or whether it's in the Pacific. And how much it's going to cost. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Listen, man, 2020, you know, I was, you know, that's when I started living in Mississippi. You know, there was the first year I picked to live in Mississippi when everything came to the Gulf Coast. It was like, it was the most incredible experience. I've gotten so used to, you know, living in LA, every chase I do is there's always a flight involved, even if it's like Texas or, you know, there's no such thing as a local hurricane for me back then. And, you know, there was always just that buzzkill of going to the airport and just that, that hatefulness and living now in the Gulf coast during hurricane season, it's cool. You know, you're just more connected to the environment. You know, you look out over the Gulf every day and you know that it could deliver something. And and then when there's a chase, it's just, it's getting in the car and driving to it. And you just, um, it's a different feeling. And it, um, it really almost like re-enlivened my enthusiasm to chase. The fact that a lot of my chases now don't have to involve airports. They just could be pure road trips, which is awesome. So I know you're building a house there in Mississippi. How's that coming? It's coming good. Uh, the builder sent me a picture today and there's that big old foundation that they're filling with concrete and uh, it's starting to get real. Like I'm getting excited. You know, it took a while. I've never built a house before. So I'm kind of a virgin in this area. And like, I didn't realize it takes a while to get the project going just with like approvals and, you know, various, uh, you know, the historical commission had to say that they're okay with it. And then the planning commission had to be okay with it and other things. But now it's, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's really going up and I'm actually going there uh, tomorrow to just to sort of check on it and meet with the builder about uh, just sort of talking about the additional ways that we're going to hurricane proof this house because I'm building a house that I am ready to ride out a category five in, even though it's only a block and a half from the Gulf. Well, tell you what, I'm, I'm going to bring in a couple of our uh, Patreon VIPs, see if they've got any questions for you. Garrett, uh, you have any questions for Josh? I think uh, just based on like the amount of experience, the places, countries you've seen, you know, with like the hurricane response and the cyclone response in these other countries, do you think they honestly are a little more prepped than what we are here in the States or kind of respected a little bit more? It just, in a sense, it kind of seems like we're dropping the ball big time behind a lot of these countries and especially with FEMA's response and things like that. I mean, Garrett, it's a great question. And and like, to, I, I make mental notes all the time. Um, I definitely notice differences. I think, I think each country has its strengths. Um, in terms of construction, in terms of making houses that'll just stay up to crazy wind, I feel that, uh, you know, Japan and Taiwan, they like, you'll be in a category four typhoon in one of those countries and you come outside afterward and the cars will be thrown all over the place like toys because their cars are smaller than ours. But the buildings 
barely any damage, like maybe a broken window here and there, but it's like, everything is so like, it's like, like these houses are like bunkers. They don't seem to have as much of that kind of some of the weaker uh, wood frame construction that we have in parts of the United States. Although it's hard to generalize about the United States because it depends on the area. Like I remember I was in Naples, Florida for, you know, Hurricane Irma. We had a direct hit, strong hurricane, very intense winds. It was like Japan. I came out afterward and there was a lot of tree damage, but the houses all look great. So the codes vary in the United States, but I would say like that's one area, Japan and Taiwan, I think really do, they do really well in terms of like construction strength. In terms of the emergency response afterward, I'm, I'm less, um, I, I would say like I have a, a, not as formed an opinion about that because I'm, you know, that's a, to evaluate the, the emergency response, you've got to kind of sort of stay there with the story for a long time. And me, I'm about documenting the event as it happens. And then usually I just kind of leave. So it's harder for me to, uh, you know, compare that. But uh, yeah, I definitely think that that we in the United States, that we could learn from other countries. One area where we really excel, though, I think the place where we're just the gold standard is our National Hurricane Center. I believe we have the best uh, you know, hurricane or cyclone warning center across the entire world. I think we just, we have the best technology. We fly planes into the hurricanes. No other country does that regularly. We're the only ones who just as a regular course of action, fly planes into the hurricanes to get data. Every other country, even other rich first world countries don't do that. Japan and Australia don't do that. Um, or at least not regularly. They just, everything's based on satellite estimates until the hurricane is, is passing over buoys or land masses. So I, I want to, you know, give the United States a real pat on the back of just our, our work in terms of like documenting and research and, and the warnings I think are, are second to none. Angela, how about you? I have a question for Josh. So I know you mentioned that you just pretty much like to go in and see the action, but do you ever go back like a year later? or just happen to go back and look and then will there be any documentation of this in the series? Yeah, hundred percent. So probably the most cataclysmic human impact that I witnessed and experienced was super typhoon Haiyan in the Philippines. It was, it was a category five and it made a direct hit on a pretty big city called Tacloban city. That's where I was storm surge. Basically the whole city went underwater, thousands of deaths, um, at the height of the storm, I jumped in the water to rescue people. I was like, I was carrying children out of the water. So that was different. That went beyond the weather nerdery thing to like, that was like a hardcore human, you know, I don't go to document the human impact, but that storm was all about the human impact, you know, just, just like I said, carrying those children and old people out of the water and then coming out of the hotel afterward and seeing, you know, dead bodies in the streets. I mean, I, that, that really seeing injured children afterward. I mean, it was like, that one really rattled me. And I, I kind of got back to LA and I, I was, I was in like a real headspace for a while. I was like crying a lot and stuff like that. And um, it, it affected me. I didn't want to chase for a while, but, but the way I, I kind of worked through it was I went back a couple of times. I went back three months later to kind of do some research about the impacts and just to, just to see the place coming back. And then I went back a year later and, and it was, um, it was great to document it and see what was happening and just to reconnect with people that I'd survived the storm with or rescued. And it was like a really healing experience. And it was also good to just let the rest of the world see how the place was recovering. And in fact, that typhoon, I can't believe it. The 10th anniversary is this year. And uh, my good friend, James Reynolds, who's the great typhoon chaser. He, and I, I went through that storm with him. He and I are thinking of going back for the 10 year anniversary. Cause it was just such a big life changing moment. 
and Lois, who's watching, has a kind of a similar question based on your series. Now that you're doing these, Josh, are you potentially going to stick around a little bit longer to document more post-storm? Absolutely. I think um, a lot of folks, I, I noticed that there's a real desire to see that, you know, I used to just really leave right away because I wasn't into like gawking at the damage, you know, um, and I was really, I'm all about the hurricane as it's happening. That still is the most motivating thing for me is just literally seeing it unfold in front of me, you know, um, but, but, you know, more and more one, the, the, the damage I think is important to document because it really sort of, it, it shows how strong the storm was. And two, the, you know, the stories of what other people went through, you know, that is, that is such a part of it. And even as a hardcore weather nerd, I'm like, that is, that is important to capture that and to tell about it. And imp most importantly, TV viewers want to see that they want to understand the human impact. So Josh, do us a favor, I guess, tell, tell our viewers, listeners, how they can, find uh, the, the Mission Hurricane series. I know it premieres this Sunday. Uh, where's the best best location? So it's on the channel Weather Spy. So if you have a connected TV like Apple TV or Roku or whatever else, Weather Spy is a channel there. So you can watch it 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. That's when each episode premieres. Once it premieres, then you can watch that episode anytime you want on demand. Now, if you don't have a connected TV or let's say you're in another part of the world, you can also watch the show on the app. So there's a mobile app for Weather Spy. And you can put it on your phone, your tablet, whatever, and you could just watch the show right in the app. And that you can, doesn't matter whether you're in the United States, United Kingdom, Australia, Malaysia, Philippines, whatever, the show is available to everyone across the globe at the same time, which I'm excited about because Hurricane Man, my last show, that was a very controlled release. First, it was only in the United Kingdom, and then six months later, Americans can see it, and then you know, it took a little while longer for folks in Mexico and Latin America to see it. It was a very sort of controlled rollout. This is not that. Everybody could see it. Cool. And it's coming out weekly, right? So new episode every week? Exactly. Awesome. And how can people follow you? Where can they find you? So uh, follow me on Twitter or Facebook at iCyclone, just the letter uh, the letter I and the word Cyclone, iCyclone, or on Instagram, iCyclone1, because some kid took iCyclone and won't give it back to me. So <laughs> I, think, I think I, I think I found that, uh, found that the other day. So uh, <laughs> I keep writing to him. He won't answer. He won't. Yeah. It's, it's been dormant for a while, but Hey, thanks for joining exactly. us this evening uh, for this bonus episode of Stormfront Freaks podcast. If you like having access to this live content, uh, make sure you give this episode a like and also subscribe to our YouTube channel and listen to our normal bi-weekly show with guests from the weather and storm chasing industry, fun segments, and, and we do lots more as uh, Josh was referring to earlier. So I'm going to signal the all clear and we'll catch you all next time on the Stormfront Freaks podcast.